Hey guys, it's Jake. Before today's episode, I just wanted to plug that this podcast is finally available on Apple Podcasts. The first few weeks on Apple Podcasts, from what I understand of the algorithm, are really important in terms of the findability of the podcast. So if you don't mind hitting subscribe and leaving a five-star review, it'll really help pay off all the hours that I'm spending watching movies and talking about them. So I really appreciate it. And now I'm excited to bring you today's episode, a conversation with Adam Wadalski on the craft categories. Enjoy. So one of the most comforting things that I ever read was a Wall Street Journal article maybe three years ago that made me realize I was not the only person who spent my hours watching 50 random animated shorts. One of the interviewees uh, for that Wall Street Journal article is Adam Waldowski, who's been an Oscar police, I believe, for quite a while. How long, Adam, have you been watching every Oscar film? Uh, I think I started in 2002, um, and I've been working my way backwards, uh, all the way back to the stuff that's been nominated since uh, 1928. How, how are you all the way done? No, I'm not even close. Um, maybe like, you know, there are like thousands of, of nominated things and I get distracted pretty easily. Uh, <laughs> so I still have quite a few to go. That's amazing. I, I pale in comparison. I just watch them in the year that they are. But do you watch like the costume categories and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I started um, probably like the first three years I did it. I, I did like a the top eight categories so like you know writing directing picture acting um but I, I branched out i do everything from like uh costume design sound editing um and i've started in like the last couple of years to really make a better effort uh for the short film categories that's incredible i need to step my game up clearly <laughs> I, I mean i don't know i don't know if i recommend it like it depends on how much free time you want to put put into it <laughs> Well, um, today we're going to talk about three categories from this year, um, but but certainly I will be interested to hear how they maybe compare to 1956 costume or visual effects. Um, doing some of the, I don't know, technical, not technical categories would be like sound, but I don't know quite how you how you qualify visual effects, costume design, and makeup and hairstyling. But that's the uh, that's the agenda for today's conversation. Uh, craft categories. There you go. See, that's I, I know I'm talking to a true expert here. I'll start with um, the costume category. So the nominees here are Irishman, Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Jojo Rabbit, Little Women. Did you have any big reactions among the costuming and in sort of those top five that, that got nominated? Uh, I, I, I was shocked to see Joker in there. I think Mark Bridges is a great costume designer, but... um. I saw somebody who put it as that there's like one costume in Joker. I was a little hyperbolic, but it's still kind of fair to me where, you know, if you're thinking of the memorable costumes in Joker, there's like one. And I'm not really sure how original that is. It's probably it probably has a lot to to comics and to earlier designs. So it's probably like one of my least favorite nominations this year. That's a great point. And honestly, a big part of that costume is the hair. And there's a total category for that. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't even know how much of that design can be credited uh, to, to Mark Bridges. Um, I think he's a great costume designer. It's just it's not my favorite work this year. I, I mean, is, are they giving credit to, I guess, like the big mobs of people wearing masks at the end? That wasn't that didn't seem all that innovative. No, I mean, you, you think about like what what is Frances Conroy wearing in her scenes? I have no idea. 
Uh, I couldn't even guess at it compared to like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where uh, those are already really iconic looks. Like, I think that those are things that will impact like actual modern fashion. I think people are going to want to look like uh, Margot Robbie or Brad Pitt or Leonardo DiCaprio. And, the, and it's not that that's a great hallmark of, of good costume design, but it does speak to how memorable those looks are. One thing that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Joker have in common is I think they're both massively respected by the more technical categories, maybe the craft categories as well, but certainly, you know, Joker, I think, was part of what lifted it up was how much the the craft and, and technical people respect the movie. And I wonder if it just gets a little halo effect once once you get down to all these different craft categories, if they just sort of recognize it as a great work. I, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, I, I always call it like sweep mentality, yeah. uh, where something gets pulled in and gets nominated in a category where you would never expect it to be. Um, so I think that's the case with, with Joker. Uh, th- this is the first time, I think, in the history of the Oscars where all of the costume design nominees are also Best Picture nominees. Normally, this is a category where, you know, a, a film's only nomination might be for costume design. I think that, that that branch has been really, really good at recognizing something like um, Allied or like Mirror Mirror, you know, like things that typically would never be on on Oscar radar. They show up specifically in the costume category. And that just wasn't the case this year. I think everything kind of got pulled in because they were they were further up on the ballot. Yeah, there are a few kind of once we get through the ones that are nominated, there are a few kind of that would fall into that category that I am interested to hear your thoughts on them not being nominated. But of the nominees, you said Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, that's definitely an era piece that the costumes kind of help set that scene. And the Irishman obviously kind of falls into that same category. And I guess Little Women sort of period pieces. You tend to expect to see that type of stuff in the costume category. Yeah, the the nominees outside of Joker all, all kind of make sense to me because Irishman is covering like many different different decades. Uh, Sandy Powell is one of the most respected costume designers who who is working today, and um, I'm a huge fan of hers. Uh, the costume sketches for the Irishman, if you haven't seen them, are really beautiful. Um, so those are worth checking out. Uh, Jojo Rabbit makes sense to me, and especially since like Sam Rockwell designs his own costume that we see like at the very <laughs> end of the film. And then um, Little Women is, uh, you know, like the 94 version was nominated in this category. I think Little Women probably wins the award for most costumes. Um, I, I've kind of joked, like, you look at, like, the the promo stills where, like, all four of the sisters are walking together. It looks like they're wearing all of the clothes that they own. <laughs> like, every single item, like, every scarf is a different color. Every Every layer that they have is a different pattern or something else. So they're really just, there's a lot of costumes. Yeah, definitely not the first, like, Dixonian-era costume drama to show up in this category. There's probably one every year, every other year. To your point about kind of respected costume costumeers, I think probably one of the more surprising exclusions would be Dolomite Is My Name, a movie that I think, I mean, it was obviously just totally ignored across the board, but were you surprised to see that one left out? Yeah, Ruth Carter's like one of the, the best in the game. The Dolomite costumes would have easily been like my, my favorite in this category had it been nominated. Uh, I was shocked to see it left off, especially for, for Joker, which I just don't don't think is in the same league. And they're, it's funny because the movies are, are set about like six years apart. 
And um, Dolomite is just so such a great costume-driven film. Um, you learn so much about who those characters are through their clothes compared to Joker, which really doesn't have that same kind of spark to it. Um, so that that was probably the biggest disappointment from Nominations Day for me was to see Dolomite left off. Yeah, now I'm really upset. I hadn't thought about that as a straight-up trade-off. Um, but I think you're right. That's definitely where the slot went. And yeah, I, I just didn't like Joker at all. What else? Did you have other other costume movies that you thought could have been in the mix or that you just appreciated even if maybe they weren't realistic to get a nomination? I'm shocked to say it because uh, I didn't think that this was going to be an Oscar movie. And it's not, I don't think it's a great movie by any means, but um, the costumes in Downton Abbey uh, actually kind of wowed me. Uh, to, to the same, like the hair and makeup work, I think, in, in Downton is really cool as well. Just a really good looking movie, really polished, like really, really um, great attention to detail. Uh, everything in it photographs really beautifully. Uh, I, I get why it ended up not getting nominated. I think they couldn't really distinguish between the the TV show and the film. And I think that's fair, uh, but it would have been a, a fun nomination. I would have been fine with that. I always try to get ahead of stuff. Like when when something seems like it's clearly going to be nominated, I, I see it before Oscar season, so that like kind of ease my burden once the nominees come out. And I watched all of Downton Abbey because I was sure that it was going to be nominated for costume. I've never seen an episode of Downton Abbey. I had absolutely no idea what was going on for two hours, and then it didn't get even get nominated. So yeah, I was just I was sort of resentful of that. Well, you, you can say that you've seen a, a one of the ten shortlisted films for for makeup and hairstyling at least. It's not not all for nothing. That is true. I will I will tell everybody that. Um, Midsommar was another one that like with the flower dress and the big bear. I I don't know. I, that one seemed. I I mean, a twenty four. If they weren't going to get the farewell a screenplay nominee they weren't going to get midsummer costume nominee but that was another kind of notable costume movie i thought this year yeah it's it's interesting to kind of see like where that branch leans towards they they really don't go for that kind of that kind of left field thing they they have a very clear lane or, or if it's not if it's not a period piece um odds are it's not going to get anywhere close yeah i can i can definitely see that and then i I just like need to have a place for this, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna just rant on a movie called Breakthrough. Oh um, yeah. So this is a movie that I unfortunately had to watch because it was nominated for best song. Uh, it is a faith based retelling of a story of somebody who uh, falls in the ice in Missouri and then survives um, by the grace of God. I cannot remember ever being more distracted by the costume choices in a movie than in this movie. It is, it's all I thought about for the entire movie. That's really funny. Um, I was distracted by a lot of things in, in <laughs> Breakthrough. The, the costumes weren't, weren't top of the list, but uh, yeah, it, it's one of the, the wildest films nominated for an Oscar um, since Alone Yet Not Alone. Uh, so yeah, there, there's really like there, there's the faith-based films that have been nominated in in the last ten years or so. All two of them have really been something special. I, I mean, I'll have another episode, I guess, to rant about how it's not even a good song. But this movie takes place over a stretch that runs from Martin Luther King Day to mid-February, and there is no consideration whatsoever of attempting to make this look seasonally accurate. You have the majority of the scenes, the characters are wearing t-shirts, including the scene where they fall into the ice because they're playing outside. There's inconsistency. I mean, this is a, the central 
theme of this story is that he falls into a lake. They revisit this lake, I think, like 11 or 12 days later in actual time, and it's completely thawed, and they're sitting on benches in, like, the middle of autumn. It drove me crazy. But anyway, that's my breakthrough rants on costumes. Any wrap-up on uh, any other lingering costume thoughts for, for 2019? Uh, no, I mean, I, I really hope that this is where Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, wins. I'm not sure that it's going to win a ton of awards um, this year, but I really hope it, it takes costumes. Um, I think Ariane Phillips is a, is a really great costume designer. Uh, she was nominated a, a few years the Madonna-directed film W.E., um, which is a, a, an incredible costume design movie, so I feel like she's kind of overdue. Excellent. Well, now, see, now I'm really interested. I'm going to watch this category a lot more closely than I would have um, if we had to talk. So, all right, I want to get to the to the main course here. And I know you were telling me uh, before we started recording about the visual effects. Big um, what is that for listeners who may not be familiar? Oh, so so they call it the bake off. So they they call it that because it's a uh, it it's you've got the 10 finalists there and it's essentially like a competition to to really kind of show like the the best of your work uh, over the last couple of years they've they've retooled the format a little bit so now it's they they have like a three minute behind the scenes reel 10 minutes of footage from the film itself uh and then they have like a five minute q a period it's open to the public it's at the the academy of samuel goldwyn theater uh every year in january so if anyone's in la and cares about visual effects uh i totally recommend it it's usually like four hours it's a long long evening it it's really it's pretty cool uh if you're into this kind of thing um so yeah there there were some real standouts this year um i was not surprised by our final five nominees so the final five nominees avengers endgame the irishman the lion king star wars the rise of skywalker and 1917, what do they cover? So do they talk about sort of the the behind the scenes of the craft and the choices that are made in terms of bringing the stories to life? Or is it more, I don't know, like what is the topic? So it's pretty much anything that is going to make it stand out. Um, they really kind of, kind of craft a, a narrative of what it is that they've done that makes it an extraordinary achievement that's worthy uh, uh, of an Oscar. You know, some things stood out more this year to me than others. I think, uh, like, Lion King probably had, like, one of the standout presentations just because they had no... They didn't have a behind-the-scenes reel, really, because there's nothing that they worked from that they shot. Like, it's all digitally created. And then uh, the 1917 uh, work, in particular, I thought they really, uh, they really showcased what it was that made that made it challenging um and how they managed to make the movie into like a seamless kind of like visual effects movie where you might not guess that certain elements are visual effects so yeah i think those are i feel like i almost want to take these one by one and 1917 is is probably a good place to start as maybe the oscar front runner right now uh, you know the the difficulty of like having the visual matches between those invisible cuts there were a lot of things that i had not noticed that they pointed out in the presentation so the shot where george mckay is like running and jumps off of the bridge into the water that moment where he where he like leaps into the water is a fully digital shot uh that's not george mckay like that's a fully digital recreation of him um that stitches together the elements of him running 
and then cuts to what they shot of him in water. So it's that kind of thing where I was just like, this is really incredible what they've done. I think a lot of people have this question of like, did they truly just turn the camera on twice? Like he has a clear moment in the middle of the movie where he passes out and the camera goes off and that that's a cut. But it sounds like they achieved this one shot feel, but you're saying they were kind of intersplicing still more than just kind of two long shots. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm I'm wondering how many um, how many cuts there are altogether in it. I, I think there's probably like around thirty at least. Um, but even even the, uh, pretty much every single shot, there's probably like very few frames of that movie that doesn't have some kind of like dig- digital effects component where there's like a set extension. Um, all the stuff where they're moving around through like no man's land, for instance the the backgrounds there are all digitally enhanced or created it, you know they they built a lot for this movie but they built everything there's a lot of stuff that's digitally done so that's interesting and i assume they must have done something on the on the plane crash oh yeah so the those are those are um two different shots uh so the shot where the where the plane actually comes down that's the fully digital plane and then the camera moves around the barn, around a post, actually. And so when it hits that post, that's a different shot where they have an actual physical plane there that's on fire. And a stunt performer who is in the plane who's also on fire. Uh, so it's it's really amazing just the blending that is done in that really tight amount of time. So the next one you brought up is Lion King. Now, full transparency, I will see this before the Oscars. I haven't seen it yet. And I think you said you might be in the same vault where we're waiting for Disney+. Plus. Yeah, you, I mean, it hits on January 28th. Got to make that a Disney Plus account count for something. Yeah. I, I pay for the subscription. I don't use it. So how do you feel writ large about this movie being in this category? I thought the Golden Globes nominating for uh, for animated film when Disney didn't submit it there is, is hilarious and also pretty appropriate. Yeah, that was catty. It really depends on on what your mileage is for, for how photo real you think uh these elements look i i kind of had the same feeling about jungle book a few years ago um where it i just don't think we're there yet where these elements look photo real you look at those lions or any of the other animals they don't look like real lions to me they're close it's close but we're not we're not really there yet yeah it's a really dicey one i think the thing like i was sort of on the fence and then hollywood reporter did a roundtable about visual effects or actually, I think it might have been about animation. But what was sort of clarifying, it came, I think it was from the director of Toy Story 4, who made the point that animation is not necessarily meant to be to be realistic. And that like the visual effects in The Lion King are really no different than like the visual effects of creating the Hulk in Avengers Endgame. And I think when I read that, I was like, yeah, you know what? That actually makes total sense to me. That seems, um, it's especially fair if you consider like Kubo and the Two Strings has been nominated here before, um, you know, uh, animated effects are, are their own, their own sort of thing. Uh, it's kind of tough with like the Lion King. Cause you know, there's always a practical effects component to pretty much everything. And I'm not sure that Lion King has that. Uh, but, but practical effects has really been on, on the downswing with this branch for a long, long time. That's interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it's basically like it's a bunch of landscapes and then they just, I guess I can't, I won't use the word animate, but they they render 
animals on top of that and that's about so they they did have a the, the movie does have a, a credited cinematographer um caleb deschanel is is credited as having shot it and i do know that he contributed hugely to to the look and like where the camera moves and uh kind of gives it more of a, a realistic element there there still wasn't anything that i saw in like the behind the scenes stuff where i thought like you know it's all fully created in a computer it's kind of a different ball game almost to compare to like 1917 where they have onset explosions or uh, or stunt people you know all these practical components where you're having to blend that with with digital effects um it, it's almost a different craft yeah that is interesting that it all is kind of falling under this one tent i think a more traditional type of visual effects movie or i guess two that you can take together are star wars rise of skywalker and avengers endgame i mean you see this type of film in in this category basically every year yeah um the there, there's always a spot reserved for for franchise titles i feel like um avengers endgame is i think kind of like uh truly impressive in terms of scale uh, you've got tons of different visual effects companies working on it uh all these distinct looks and characters from like a dozen or more movies where you're trying to make it all look like they belong to one one universe uh but with infinity war nominated just last year it, it's kind of difficult to say like what's substantially different here that we didn't see last year i have this question in this category all the time like i talked to a sound guy recently and i didn't get a chance to ask him this but i wanted to ask him like at a certain point a lightsaber just sounds like a lightsaber in nine movies a television series the clone wars video games are you really doing anything like at the point that you're just making something sound like a lightsaber and i think a lot of that i mean when you talk about rendering characters that have been in 30 movies in the last decade um that that seems like it would almost be like a burden and a handicap in some ways i think it's a really fair point uh you know a lot of these companies have you know, years and years of storage of, uh, you know, in those cases, it's like a sound effects library, but for visual effects, you know, Lucasfilm has a huge, huge library of digital assets that they've used, uh, you know, for more than a decade now. So, you know, that last shot uh, or the the last final battle of the resistance in, in the end of Rise of Skywalker, where you have all of these ships that come from all over the galaxy, those are assets that really aren't being created from scratch at least i don't think like you know the, those are ships that they've already had scanned in where they can kind of add those to the shot one of the things that you do here every year at the visual effects bake-off is where they talk about times where they had to rebuild something from scratch i, I didn't hear a lot of that this year especially not for like avengers and and rise of skywalker uh but you know there are things that are unique to to those films um my favorite thing in rise of skywalker is uh babu frick was a the little puppet that the internet sensation babu frick oh he's so good yeah i mean like between babu frick and, and baby yoda i feel like that practical puppetry is really uh having a, a moment again and one thing that blew my mind too is that maz Kanata was built for this film as a practical puppet i i honestly could not tell the difference between the puppet and the the digital character that they created for force awakens so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that might be like uh, uh, the concentrated effort they're making now, especially with the success of Baby Yoda. I think they're going to try and lean more into practical as much as possible. I think it's a great move. Like that stuff is timeless. It's always going to look good. So then the last one is The Irishman. And I think this is pretty clearly about the de-aging technology. 
It was the year of de-aging for sure. There was a, a joke that the visual effects supervisor for Captain Marvel had where they said that they combined the two things that were sure to get you on the shortlist this year, de-aging and cats. Uh, we'll talk about so, yeah, I mean, like Irishman is the one where, where de-aging is really front and center. Uh, the the thing that they really stressed that made Irishman something special is that uh, the, the actors didn't wear motion uh, capture dots. So they essentially were working with without any of the, the advantages that you normally expect when you're doing that kind of de-aging work or that kind of uh, character animation. Um, I don't think it's ever been done before, actually. So I think that was their real selling point. Do you get a sense for how much of the of what's celebrated in this category is the fundamental work itself? I, I feel like as I start out watching movies and, you know, trying to see all the Oscar movies and you have this sort of like idealistic hope that it's just the best art wins and we're just going to celebrate something on its own merits. And then you start to understand the the politicalness and the need to campaign and and i think that some of these categories seem very insular you mentioned um zoe de chanel's father the cinematographer who was nominated i think last year for like the worst foreign film i've seen in the last decade <laughs> yeah. and we look away and you like clearly just have the same guys and everybody knows their names and they just automatically get nominated is visual effects do you feel like is is that is that similar or is it we're really looking for kind of standout achievement and we're pure in the way that we celebrate true accomplishments? It's a good question. Um, you know, the stuff like Star Wars, you know, has almost never missed. I think Revenge of the Sith is the only Star Wars movie that ever missed in this category. Uh, so there are like some Star Wars here where I think no matter what kind of work you turn in, uh, you're pretty much going to get guaranteed a nomination uh but you know they i think they have been pretty good about especially recognizing films where they emphasize that it's the best achievement in visual effects um this is something that bill taylor was a former branch governor said the year after um ex machina one that the the category is best achievement in visual effects and not best film with visual effects uh, so it, it doesn't matter what the quality of the overall film is in terms of like, is it a best picture contender? It's, are the visual effects in it something that's truly remarkable? And you, you look at something like Gemini Man, for instance, Gemini Man was not going to get nominated in any other category in a million years. I bet it came pretty close to being nominated for visual effects. Yeah, that's a, that's a good transition with the de-aging technology. I will say that just makes me feel very pure and good. Like, I'm very happy to hear that. I also love Dex Machina, so... Same. Yeah, no, it's the, uh, it, but it's probably the most divisive visual effects winner maybe ever. And the uh, fact that it, it took that win from Mad Max Fury Road, I think is probably enough to enrage a lot of people in the visual effects community. Yeah, that was, that was definitely a favorite of everybody in, in most categories. So Gemini Man, I did not see Gemini Man. Um, I don't think that uh, there's any theater within a thousand miles of me that has the right technology to actually play Gemini Man. Did you see the 4K or whatever this groundbreaking approach? Uh, I did not. It was actually pretty hard to see it even um, in LA uh, at, at the 120 frame rate. The, the reel that they showed for the film, they cranked up the projector to 60 frames per second. I hate it, I really do. <laughs> Uh, it, it just, it looks like a soap opera to me, you know, uh, I've seen so many movies at this point at 24 frames per second that I just don't think that my eyes are capable of, of seeing 
things as they're supposed to look at, at 48 frames or higher. So yeah, I mean the 60 frames thing, it just didn't it didn't look better to me. It, it, looked, it looked a lot worse. What about the de-aging technology in Gemini Man relative to, I guess not relative to the Irishman, but just as kind of a second, you know, to your point, Captain Marvel was another one, like a lot of de-aging this year. What did you think of Will Smith as a, as a youth? Yeah, it's funny. Um, if, if I had to put them all together, I'd probably say like, the, I, I think Sam, Samuel Jackson uh, probably looks the best in, in Captain Marvel. It's probably the work that I, I was able to, to relax into the most. Um, Gemini Man has some shots that that look pretty spectacular, but there's also some stuff too where you know the younger will will uh, move his eyes or or speak or something, and it just looks like a kind of badly rendered video game character. It's just another piece of technology where I'm not sure that we're we're quite there yet, uh, and and I'm not really sure how well that stuff is going to age. I think we might look back in maybe ten years from now and and look at Gemini Man and you know, like kind of wince a little bit uh, just because it, it doesn't look as good as I, I think that they hoped it would turn out. So a lot of, you know, it, it's interesting having this conversation in such a frame of kind of technical understanding and it's super helpful and it like brings a lot of value, I feel like, to the conversation because I, I don't, you know, despite watching a lot of movies, I don't know very much about kind of the inner workings. Terminator Dark Fate is a movie that I was really excited to watch. I thought T1 and T2, I think, are really genuinely good movies. T2 in particular was like kind of a first-in-its-kind accomplishment in terms of, I think they actually had to wait to make the movie like until the technology caught up to what they wanted to achieve. I was hoping with T3 to have some kind of breakthrough, some kind of different technology along those same lines, and it seemed to me like the new Terminator had some new bells and whistles, but kind of all stuff that I had seen before. Did you pick up on anything that was sort of innovative with, with this one? Or, or I don't know, what, what was your impression, I guess, of the technology in Terminator? I, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd say the thing that stands out to me in, in Dark Faith that's the most impressive is just the sheer volume of work. You know, there's, you've got de-aging off, off the top, which looks really, really great because they're not far. Uh, it's pretty pretty limited, like what they what they do with that scene. There's a huge amount of practical effects in in Terminator Dark Fate, and I think that stuff looks really really good. Just in terms of like the quantity of work, I am I was super impressed by Dark Fate. Uh, it's a franchise that has had a pretty good track record um, making the the final list, but then not actually getting nominated. Um, T two is the only Terminator film to to be nominated, and and it won. Of course, it's probably like one of the best winners ever. Rise of the Machines was nominated. Salvation or was shortlisted, and uh, Salvation was shortlisted. But like Dark Fate, they also didn't get nominated. That's interesting. Yeah, I forgot about the de aging. That's actually probably some of the most impressive de aging because you're taking an adult and making him a child or something. Like, I don't even understand how they possibly did that yeah honestly I, I i don't really know what they did with uh edward furlong there um but like the linda hamilton looks incredible in that schwarzenegger looks incredible in in that scene it's it, it's a really really cool sequence really effective really looks just looks right so the last couple on the short list alita battle angel pretty good effects i thought terrible movie not a good movie pretty whatsoever funny. this is one of the only movies where the twist is not remotely plot based like it's just that the villain is played by Edward Norton. I I did not understand what they were going for with with most of that movie or how Rollerball fit into it. 
It's a weird, uh, weird, weird movie. Yeah, it was the big, um, the big contender out of Weta this year, which is um, Peter Jackson's visual effects company. So I think it it probably had a pretty good shot just because there are a lot of people who are in the Academy who either work for or have worked for Weta before. But yeah, it's just it's one of those where it, the movie itself is really bad. I don't think the movie looks consistently good across across everything. So I, I wasn't I, I didn't predict it for a nomination. I wasn't surprised when it missed. Yeah, I'll admit that I watched it on an airplane, so I probably lost some of the finer points of the visual. That's probably the best um, place to watch it. Honestly, <laughs> I couldn't walk out. Um, and then speaking of walking out, um, the last one on the list. I know. I believe you own a cat. Is that right? I do. I do have a cat. Yeah. yeah I, I actually kind of want to watch Cats with my cat and see how she responds to it. Because um, I, I had a lot of thoughts while watching it. Um, it's probably, it's probably the worst, the worst work I think I've seen shortlisted. Um, I don't. I don't want to say ever because I'm sure there's something that that looks a little bit rougher, but. I saw it, you know, that weekend when it came out before they did the visual effects update and it just didn't, it, you could tell that there was stuff that was unrendered. There was stuff that wasn't finished. And I think even once it would be finished, it still isn't going to look great. It's kind of, it was just sad all around. How does this happen? I mean, how does a movie get re-released two days after it's released because the visual effects are so problematic and it gets shortlisted for best pictures. This people just not see it. They, you know, they they address this at the Bake Off. Um, they did specifically ask about uh, that update, and they said, you know, they had a perfectionist director. Um, I know that they went through a lot of visual effects supervisors on this film. I know that it underwent a lot of changes. You can watch the original trailer and compare it to the film itself and see a really, really radically different look in terms of just character design. Uh, but it, it just doesn't look right. You know, it just, it, it's a weird, weird thing to have been shortlisted. I think that there was stuff on the long list that would have made more sense. I think Ad Astra was the big surprise. It didn't advance. I, how you put cats on that list ahead of Ad Astra like blows my mind, but here we are. I, I support Ad Astra being nominated for as many things as possible and I will never see cats. Yeah. Well, it's it's definitely a singular experience. <laughs> Any lingering final uh, wrap up thoughts on visual effects overall? Uh, I'll be curious to see um, what ends up taking this. I, I think uh, this is going to be a big indicator. I think early on in the evening, um, depending on where this award sits. But if nineteen seventeen wins this, I think it'll probably probably indicate it's going to be a big night for nineteen seventeen. So then the last last of these craft categories are makeup and hairstyle. Nominees are Bombshell, Joker, Judy, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, and 1917. What did you think of George McKay's hair? I think a lot of people were surprised by the 1917 nomination. I wasn't. I was actually really rooting for this nomination just because it's the, the only makeup this year where I was really wondering, like, how did they do what they did on this film? Uh, and, and by that, I mean, like, you you have however many takes there are in this movie you know your two leads especially george mckay who is getting dirt on him and blood and dust and he gets like cuts and scrapes and you have to keep all of that consistent from take to take and kind of make it look seamless like not even notice that uh that there are invisible cuts here 
and that maybe these were shot like days or weeks apart. So like in terms of continuity, it seems like a nightmare. I, I admire it just on continuity. I think it's like an incredible feat just for that. That is amazing. Did they, how, is all of that makeup or was there a visual effects component to that? I'm sure there, especially like, I'm sure there's some digital touch-ups. Uh, I, I couldn't really speak to how much there is, but you know, uh, a lot of that is like actual practical makeup. There's there's a lot of stuff where, you know, they really had to apply like dirt in the exact same place as it was in the previous shot. And even if they've just finished a take, you know, having to go back and like make it look exactly like it did as it's supposed to look at the beginning of that take. Uh, I just, I, I can't really imagine what that process must have been like. Obviously with the kind of lack of cuts in the camera and, and kind of the sporadic action, I assume there's some element of like, blood and stuff like that that has to be kind of rigged ahead of time or executed live you know yeah, without so, intervention i'm spoiler for people who haven't seen it but you know like when a certain character gets stabbed you know like that that's all a practical component like the the bleeding out that takes place there you know there there's quite a bit of rigging to that and then that does count towards makeup it's it's anything that's uh applied to the performers like face or body that that changes their appearance so yeah it's uh it's a lot of work. Yeah, that's really interesting. And this is definitely a category where you can tell, like, it's pretty clear to me, even not as an expert at all in this in this area of film, where some of these fit in. I mean, Bombshell, Roger Ailes, um, you know, kind of turning Jonathan, John Lithgow into Roger Ailes. First of all, I, I'm really surprised that this was not, like, put into the lock category and supporting actor. Like he, he never even really seemed to be mentioned by anybody as a candidate. And it's like, seems like everything they love, like wearing prosthetics, playing a real person. But um, I mean, I think bombshell, I, what were your take on kind of the costuming and, and make or sorry, makeup and hairstyle for bombshell. Yeah. yeah that's an interesting point on Lithgow too, especially since, you know, uh, Russell Crowe's playing that same character and just won a golden globe for uh, at least the TV side. So yeah, it's uh, I was surprised too that he didn't get more traction this year. And maybe that's why, maybe they felt like that was the, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the, anytime that you have that kind of overlap, you're definitely going to get compared. Uh, but in terms of the makeup in bombshell, you know, like the, the John Lithgow stuff looks great. Um, Kazuhiro is the the prosthetics designer who, who worked on Bombshell, and he's he's really really great. The, talk about somebody who has been nominated for movies that normally would never get nominated for an Oscar. I think his previous nominations are like Click and Norbit, and then he won for Darkest Hour. Uh, so, yeah, I mean he he's a, a true genius at prosthetic work. Uh, I think the Charlize Theron stuff looks great. But my my thought on especially makeup nominations is that you're you're only as good as your worst makeup. And so I was thinking about this a lot with like Vice last year, where the Dick Cheney makeup looks great, but Tyler Perry's Colin Powell makeup doesn't look so great. Uh, and I think Bombshell has that same problem where Richard Kind shows up for a couple of scenes as Rudy Giuliani. And I think that Rudy Giuliani makeup is really, really off the mark. That looks absolutely nothing like him. And that's a great point. I, I'm actively rooting against Bombshell now. Yeah, you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm super happy for, for Kazuhiro. Like, I think that, I think he's probably going to win again. Um, and I think that his work is really incredible. You, you know, sometimes it just doesn't all come together. I think the, the Giuliani stuff probably would have been better on the cutting room floor. Yeah, a similar one as far as kind of getting a historical character to look a lot more like a historical character is Judy. What are your thoughts on, because 
Renee Zellweger doesn't necessarily look like Judy Garland. She more just embodies Judy Garland. What are your feelings on having this in here? I have a hot take on Judy that uh, has gotten me into, in, into trouble with friends who really love love this movie and love this performance. I, I love Judy Garland. I grew up on Judy Garland. I love 60s Judy Garland. Judy to me is like people love the Renee Zellweger performance. I kind of wonder like how much Judy have you seen? Because <laughs> she really doesn't look or sound or uh, or kind of pass for Judy Garland to me in that way. I, I'm sure that there is a, a ton of makeup work that went in, into doing this. I I just never saw Judy Garland in in this movie. It it really this went over my head or totally went over my head. It's such a distinct voice. I mean, I think yeah. Renee Zellweger plays a character and plays her really well, but it's definitely, it's not even, it's not even not an impression. Like it's almost just a different person. Yeah. It's, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, if, if you haven't seen or listened to a lot of Judy, especially like Judy at that age where, where her voice was, had changed quite a bit. It's, it's just a weird, weird, performance and movie but uh i think zellweger is unstoppable the makeup i think was a lock all along to get nominated it's it wouldn't have been my pick but you know here we are i think kind of closing the circle on the costume conversation for joker i guess here's where you get to um recognize the green part of his costume with his hair right yeah you know the 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 hair the hair is cool um I don't know. I, I, this is another nomination. This is probably, if if it's not the Joker costume nomination, it's the Joker makeup nomination that I just don't get. I, I know that the makeup artist had a really challenging time working with Joaquin Phoenix. He he apparently said that he wanted to self apply all of his own makeup and didn't <laughs> want people touching him. So I'm sure that that was not fun uh, for them to be on set to, to do this. In terms of design, uh, you know, anyone who's seen John Wayne Gacy has seen what the Joker makeup looks like. It, it's nothing I have not seen done elsewhere before. I've seen a lot of scary con movies, too, over the years. And, uh, you know, it, it seems like a kind of like horror clown makeup. But this is another makeup that like Judy, people love this makeup. I think it was a foregone conclusion that it would be nominated. If you're going to make Joker have 11 nominations... And then you have him in this crazy costume. Yeah, I wasn't surprised to see it. Yeah. And then the last one I haven't seen, and I won't even be able to watch it on Disney Plus before the Oscars, so I'm going to have to go to Redbox or something. Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. Have you uh, caught caught up on this? I did. I, uh, I saw this at a, a $2 theater in the Valley after it went to second run um, after it made the, the short list. I figured it was worth checking out. Yeah, that sounds uh, like a good price. It was the perfect price. I was not disappointed to spend uh, t- two bucks on it. it. It's it's pretty weird to me that the sequel is here when the original Maleficent didn't get nominated in 2014. And that had uh, Rick Baker behind it, who was like, you know, seven time Oscar winner for for best makeup, like the the like the foremost name in in uh, in makeup. And he wasn't nominated for this. And a lot of the ideas that came from for for this film came from from production on that where you know the horns that they that they crafted are made of lightweight material 
they're magnetized so that they're really easy to detach uh so that like uh, uh and angelina jolie didn't have to wear them all day the the cool thing in mistress of evil is that there are a lot of other characters that look just like her that look like maleficent um other fairies that are from like all kinds of different ecosystems so you see what those in the rainforest or if they lived in the desert and so there's a lot of different looks there it's it's a lot of work it didn't blow my mind compared to like uh the the 2014 maleficent it felt pretty redundant there is some cool uh so like michelle pfeiffer is a blast in it and and she has really really fun uh hair design and makeup she looks really great in it uh and the, the all of the human cast is kind of designed to have this very uh like elaborate medieval styling so there there is some fun stuff in it i, I wasn't too disappointed to, to see this get nominated but it uh it, it wouldn't have been at the top of my list all right well i will keep an eye out when i'm watching it what else anything that you feel like should have gotten in that maybe wasn't recognized Oh, you know, I would have loved to see Dolomite here. Um, mm-hmm. I would have loved to see uh, Downton Abbey. Um, it's another one where I, I didn't really expect to be wowed by it, but I think the hair work in that is is really just very intricate and um, just photographs really well. Uh, the other stuff I wasn't surprised. Um, you know, talk about a, a reversal from what we saw in, in costume. You know, like Little Women, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the, those were both shortlisted here and ended up not getting nominated. Uh, so this was a, a craft uh, branch that really took their their job seriously uh, and didn't fall into that kind of sweet mentality and really went for like what the quality work was. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, you like to see that. A couple of real people. I feel like real people usually get get more love here. Mr. Rogers, uh, Elton John. Yeah, uh, Rocketman was the other uh, film that was shortlisted and. You know, like like Bohemian Rhapsody was last year. I bet that this was pretty close to a nomination. It was probably on the cusp, but I don't know. You know, it it really kind of depends on how much you think Taron Egerton looks like Elton John throughout it. Yeah. I, didn't really see, I didn't really see it, but uh, but yeah, it, it, I, I bet it still came pretty close. Yeah, we're gonna put like Renee Zellweger and Taron Egerton in some kind of like multiverse, and maybe they look like the people that they're playing. Yeah, if, I don't if, know. maybe if you put some like Vaseline on, on your TV <laughs> or just squint really hard. Well, this has been awesome. I feel like 10 times smarter than when we started talking. I've learned a lot about movies in an hour. <laughs> this, I mean, this has been a great conversation. Really, really great uh, insights and really great questions. I really enjoyed this. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to you. Have a good one. Talk to you later. Right. You too.